We've got updates on a couple of Yankees, and we'll be taking a look into who could be the DJ LeMahieu of the 2020 season. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had the three go-throughs yet. It worked great in a fantasy. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball 15 for Friday, May 8th. I'm Al Melkier, and I am here with Derek Van Riper, DVR. Uh, we never seem to go more than maybe a week without some Yankees updates, uh, so we got that. Uh, we've got some, uh, basically we're, we're going to spin off from one of these uh, Yankee stories to talk about some, uh, maybe some super utility candidates who may or may not help us out in a 2020 season. We also have an update from Jeff Passan, pretty much trending along the more recent updates about when the major league season might start, according to uh, Passan's report. MLB is expected to submit a return to play proposal to the MLB Players Association within a week. As far as these, as these Yankees updates go, James Paxton, who uh, has been recovering from back surgery, he is already up to throwing sim games, That, uh, according to a report from Dan Martin of the New York Post. And Martin also reporting that Aaron Judge is going to be scheduled for another CT scan sometime this month uh, as he's recovering slowly, but apparently steadily from his fractured rib. Uh, there's a report from Chris, not so much a report, actually, it's just a, a piece from Christy Ackert of the New York Post, uh, basically looking at the possibility of DJ LeMahieu leaving the Yankees as a free agent uh, after the end of the season and making the case that he should be re-signed. Uh, so DVR, reading that piece from Christy Ackert, it made me remember, I'd sort of forgotten how, uh, looking back at last March or even April, it didn't seem like there was a place for DJ LeMahieu to play uh, on the Yankees, and it, it seemed like a, a puzzling signing. Did you do you recall having that same sort of response to that? Yeah, I didn't have him on any teams last season because I didn't see enough playing time for him to be mixed league relevant, and I only played in one AL only league, so it's pretty easy to avoid a player in a format like that, even if you like him, which I, I really didn't. I, I thought leaving Colorado... <laughs> Even going to another hitter-friendly environment, we we're going to see almost no power from LeMahieu. Clearly, I was wrong about that. And there was a piece that Mike Petriello wrote uh, probably last winter after LeMahieu signed with the Yankees. I don't think it was very close to the start of the season that kind of pointed out for a guy who goes the opposite way a lot. He's a right-handed hitter. He might fit really well in Yankee Stadium. And that played out. So... Uh, I think Mike Petriello might be a genius, and uh, <laughs> I definitely overlooked the paths to playing time for LeMahieu. And it's weird because I'm looking at his numbers right now, and he was actually more similar to Cattell Marte than I ever had noticed prior to this show. Yeah, I definitely have not made that comp. And that's, I mean, not that, you know, at this point, you know, with, with the 2020 hindsight, that, um, you know, I feel like I'm underrating LeMahieu's 2019 season, but that really kind of puts it in bold relief for me. I mean, that's incredible. Um, you know, so, I mean, we've actually talked a bit about LeMahieu in some previous episodes uh, about his chances for regression. Actually, uh, way back when, when we were running draft prep stuff, uh, you know, made a case that LeMahieu, you know, not surprisingly, not going out on a, on a big, you know, heavy limb here to say that, you know, I was looking for some, some pretty major regression from him. Uh, but, you know, still not to the degree that he wouldn't have some 12-team some value 
uh, this year. But it got thinking about LeMahieu and, and being reminded of how he seemed utterly blocked from regular play a year ago. Uh, maybe think about who might we make that mistake with in 2020. And so uh, I, I went through all of the uh, depth charts and you know looked at situations where maybe there was a regular who looked like uh, he could be vulnerable in terms of keeping his job or a situation where there was a player who had the skills that might merit that player getting to uh, be elevated to a super utility role and, and gaining value that way. So I've I compiled some names and they seem to fall pretty uh, obviously into two different groups. Um, one is the players that, you know, they're not really big surprises to us. Um, it wouldn't be a shock if they had a LeMahieu type season and yet they weren't really necessarily being drafted in that way. And then players who might really just come out of nowhere uh, and have some value. So let's start with the the more obvious group. Uh, with the Nationals, you got two candidates, Howie Kendrick and Dribble Cabrera, neither one being drafted within the top 400 overall, which given particularly the season that Kendrick had last year, that that it's a little surprising. And I, I think that's a real opportunity for value. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the reason people maybe are, are holding back on both Kendrick and Cabrera is that they could end up in roles where they start four to five times a week instead of every day. Whereas, you know, again, this is something we would have said about DJ LeMahieu a year ago. Uh, there are players being drafted ahead of them who have, less interesting skills but more certain roles and it goes back to the old mantra from ron chandler who came up with this when he was running baseball hq and it's kind of been a a guiding principle playing fantasy baseball for a few decades now it's draft skills not roles and i've been pushing back on it in the last couple of years only because i think many of us as fantasy players are on level playing fields when it comes to the tools and metrics we use to measure skills. And what could separate us is our ability to project playing time. That might be uh, an actual area where you versus me versus anybody else out there, we might be able to gain advantages against each other. And I, I don't think that's exactly why Kendrick and Cabrera are being overlooked, but I do think it's the kind of thing where if you can if you can rationally find the path for those guys to play more than expected, there's absolutely no reason not to draft them at their price because they have very good core skills. Howie Kendrick uh, was on a few of my deep league teams last year, and he's a huge part of why I had success in those leagues. He was uh, cost almost nothing, and he was probably like a $15 player in some very deep NL-only leagues. Yeah, um, and I had uh, Kendrick on quite a few teams too, although with with less success, um, <laughs> probably because of the players I surrounded him with. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I see him. You know, I no accident why I put him at the top of this list because I I think he's got the clearest path to having a Lemayhu type season. I mean, mate, what if Carter Kiboom doesn't uh, you know doesn't pan out uh, at, at third base, and you know even without that, I mean, he can play a few different infield spots and. Uh, you know, he could just be in a rotation. So I, I certainly think he's being or was being way underdrafted. And a couple other players not, aren't necessarily being underdrafted. Garrett Hampson and John Birdie, both are being drafted in a lot of 12 teamers. But I think maybe they have an opportunity in spite of that to have a pretty good return on, on the investment. 
Uh, you know, I'm looking at the the Rockies uh, lineup, and you know, what if Daniel Murphy's really cooked? What if he's done? And then I could see Ryan McMahon moving to first, and you know, voila, you got second base, you know, pretty much open for for Hampson and Birdie. He could play all over the place. Um, so I don't know. What do you think of these two? Birdie to me is one of those players who is a fantastic story a year ago, and my fear for someone like him is that if you write more chapters, they won't be as happy as the ending is right now. Like 2019 is a success story as it pertains to John Birdie. But if you grind and grind for a couple of years and you give him every day at bats, is he actually going to be the player we saw last year? And I'm just a little bit skeptical that the underlying numbers don't really support it. Hampson I think fits for a lot of reasons. He has the Coors Field factor likely working in his favor, or at least potentially working in his favor again this year. He does have that versatility like Birdie where he can play in the middle infield. He can play center field even. So he plays positions of defensive value. And I think that's a really interesting thing there too. And you mentioned that, you know, with Daniel Murphy who had injuries last year, he's in the last year of his contract. If, if he's not playing well, Ryan McMahon could maybe move over to first. Hampson could take over as a regular second baseman. There are a few paths, kind of direct and indirect, that could open up for him. And I just think being quite a bit younger than Birdie, I'm a little more willing to buy into the idea that Hampson could still take steps forward with his baseline skills. Whereas with Birdie, he's old enough. I just, I really don't see it happening at this point. Uh, yeah, and I think you raise a good point about the you know limited exposure that he's gotten, and and uh, you know certainly over uh, even what you know could be a full season this year, which of course won't really be a full season. We could see him regress and and just not really merit uh, a lot of playing time. I will say, out of the park loves him. Uh, I'm running the Marlins not in the alternate universe, but in a different out of the park league, and uh, he is my Marlins MVP so far. That's pretty funny. It's got a few <laughs> players like that. It likes Nicky Lopez a lot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, Birdie is actually leading the fake Marlins in home runs, which I <laughs> would not have expected. It's kind of a low bar, but uh, yeah, <laughs> he's uh, ahead of Corey Dickerson and uh, you know Garrett Cooper and some others that you think he wouldn't be. Uh, and I'm going to return to a player DVR. I've, I've tried to get you to bite on this a couple of times in previous episodes. I'm going to make one more try here. Isaiah Kiner Falefa had a nice spring training and, you know, what was really like half a spring training. Uh, and it's one of these situations where you had improved results that coincided with some other changes. He came to camp bigger than he did last year, he came to camp with a different uh, stance at the plate, a different approach. And uh, there have been several write ups really favorable, including one by uh, Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News. So, I understand your skepticism, but there's also a part of me that thinks that, you know, if there are people that are watching this guy regularly and they see something, maybe, you know, maybe he's worth a flyer. Yeah, it's totally possible. I think the the drawback I still see is that I'm not convinced that even with the improvements that Kiner Falef is going to hit more than more than what you'd want from like a 15 team league catcher. That's the that's the concern that I have is that he's still just not bringing a lot to the table. And the thing that made DJ LeMayhew more interesting on the on the underlying numbers to people who did take the chance last year that some of these guys don't have is high average exit velocities. Howie Kendrick does have that, very comparable to DJ LeMayhew in that regard, but even Hampson 
uh, in Kiner Falefa, they're several miles per hour. They're they're like in the 83 to 86 mile per hour range with their average exit velocity. Whereas DJ LeMahieu, even before last year's surprising season with the Yankees, was in the low 90s. And I think that's one of those things that I'm definitely looking for. Like, where can I get cheap average exit velocity when the reason for that player being cheap is uncertainty about playing time? It leads me to a guy like Yandy Diaz. And had he been healthy all of last season, we may have been able to see what he could do over a full season. But with the Rays, he was getting the ball up in the air more than he'd ever had during his time in Cleveland, both in the minors and in his brief tastes of the majors. Uh, we saw 14 home runs and just 347 plate appearances. I think he hit one in that wild card game against the Rays as or against the A's as well. Uh, sub 20% K rate, he draws walks. That's the combination of skills that's very similar to LeMayhew. And people look at Diaz and say, well, the Rays mix and match at several positions and third base could be one of them. And I think that's what keeps Diaz uh, as a kind of affordable sort of guy that actually could take a pretty big step forward again with health. Yeah. Oh, I like that call a lot. And I think I was definitely remiss to not include him. Maybe just because he's he's on the depth chart as the regular third base. But like you said, the the Rays have lots of options there. Uh, they do have a history of mixing and matching. So I think that's, a, that's an excellent call. Uh, I'm just going to now uh, do a little bit more rapid fire and, and throw out a bunch of names, uh, maybe provide a little bit of context and just see who who sticks for you, who stands out. Um, Nick Solak, of course, in that same Rangers situation as Kiner Falefa. Um, very similar to LeMahieu, great skills, but um, where does he play? It's not at all clear. Alemis Diaz, um, you know, just looks like the fallback guy in case Correa gets hurt again, but really made strides in plate discipline last year and has good home run power. Jose Peraza, uh, you know, not clear what his role will be uh, with the Red Sox. Alex Blandino, uh, you know, also made some strides last year and not maybe that much of a uh, of an obstacle in terms of uh, potentially playing um, uh, behind. And now uh, this is terrible. I am blanking on the... Uh, the red shortstop's name. Oh, I, Freddie Galvis. Thank you, Freddie Galvis. That, t- that tells you what I think of Freddie Galvis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you and Paul veiled him there. Yeah. So uh, that's right. So, and then a couple of uh, potential Indians infielders, uh, Yu Chang. You know, what if uh, Francisco Lindor gets traded? Is he the, somebody who slides in there and maybe brings a little power potential that role? Christian Arroyo looked like he had a breakout in AAA last year. Does he get opportunity? And somebody you and I have talked about in some previous episodes, Willie Castro. So out of that group, uh, is there anybody that strikes you as having any kind of chance at that LeMahieu type of impact? I'll spare the audience uh, you know, 45 seconds of me waxing poetic about Willie Castro again and, and choose <laughs> Aledmi's Diaz from this group. Uh, sneaky average exit velocity numbers really in three of his four major league seasons. He's been in the 88 to 89 range in three or four years. He does hit the ball in the air. He doesn't strike out a lot. Actually started drawing a few more walks last year. And because it was only 247 plate appearances, he is buried in ADP. He's a great pickup if you're in draft and hold. He's a great late cheap target for AL only leagues, but it would not surprise me if the if the depth chart in Houston goes through an injury or possibly two, I think Diaz could end up playing a lot more than people expect. So I think of that second group you mentioned, he's probably the guy who I like the most at this point. Yeah, I do too. Uh to to be honest, I was going through here, I was, you know, kind of 
looking for a narrative, you know, looking for a way to justify playing time for him because the, that really dramatic improvement last year in plate discipline, I just thought, you know, maybe this is really the missing link and this guy really deserves to play a lot more regularly. And I mean, think about when he was a rookie with the Cardinals and uh, he looked like he was going to be somebody who might be a fantasy mainstay and then got off to a, a bad start in the sophomore season and really has not rebounded from that, at least in terms of playing time. Yeah, I'm with you there. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, you know, something to think about when uh, when and if we get back to drafting. Uh, maybe Aledniz Diaz is uh, somebody to target. I think he's pretty much, so far, gone undrafted just about everywhere. So, um, even in ale-only leagues. So, something to think about. And something to check out that's not uh, fantasy relevant, but, you know, anytime that there's uh, good stuff out there from Corey Brock, uh, we're going to recommend that you read it. And he has a fantastic piece out. Sacramento's Slug and Solon's Pure Amateur and 230 Feet Down the Line. I think that title kind of tells tells it all there. A story about uh, Sacramento's return to minor league baseball and the uh, very interesting park that that team had to deal with. Just a great story from Corey Brock. So uh, do check that out. And that's going to be it for Fantasy Baseball in 15 for this episode and for this week. If you're already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball in 15, or uh, we are still running the 90 day free trial. Uh, Give that a shot if you like. And uh, whichever way you go, everything that is in the athletic is a part of your subscription. Uh, If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we as always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker. We'll be back here on Monday.